Hey, and welcome to a podcast. We're calling it Holy Podcast. Not that the podcast itself is holy, but it's based on the series that we're in on Sunday as a church. And so today I am joined by three of our other teachers. Uh, so I'm just going to start from the right and work to the left from most important to least important. And, uh, <laughs> just kidding. Well, thank you. Just kidding, Mackie. It wasn't so much a compliment of you, Anthony. Oh, okay. it was much as a... Appreciate that. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. So on my far right is Anthony. Uh, Anthony is one of our newer members to staff. Uh is a, a former lead pastor of a church further up north, not mm. Michigan. Not that, that far up north. Yeah, we want to be clear because people will quit listening if they hear that. That's right. Uh, but Anthony, uh, it's good to have you on the podcast. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, just in a, a short version? Yeah, um, well, been here for two months, well, on staff, been here for six months or a little more than six months in Lancaster. And um, for those who have heard a little bit about the story, just kind of really a crazy God thing. Um, we ended up here kind of on a whim. You know, we knew we wanted to move to central Ohio and um, knew that God was leading us to, to go somewhere. Didn't know what community we were going to end up in and came and visited. And uh, we had visited some other communities, but just didn't, uh, my wife and I didn't feel like we were connecting on those. And um, not that anything was wrong with them, but we came here and there was nothing particular that was drawing us. It wasn't like there was an attraction or something, but we just felt like God was doing something when we were here stirring us. Um, we put an offering on a house, you know, just prayed about it way over our budget. Um, and really what ended up happening was obviously the, you know, the offer got accepted, right. um, which we were really surprised about, quite honestly. Uh, but you know, for, for most people, I think when they hear we moved here, not knowing anybody, not having any friends, not having any, any family members, that that's the big thing that in hindsight, it's like, yeah, why, why did we do that? Um, but now looking back, like God obviously had a plan and, you know, we ended up here at the tree and, um, it's been, it's been awesome, man, to have a, just a really cool community here and just feel like it's a good place for where, where God was leading us. That was a big part of the prayers. Lord, uh, show us where you want us to be. So awesome. So you've been on staff two months. If you had to fire one staff member, oh my gosh! <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. This is a quintessential podcast. Wait, wait, what is one of the staff values causing division or something yeah, like right. that? Yeah, that'll get you out. All right. So uh, to my right, everyone knows Pastor Chris. Uh, hey, Chris, how you doing, bud? Good. How are you doing? Good. So many of you know this, but maybe not everyone knows that Chris is over biblical education here at the church. I didn't say this. Anthony is going to be our first campus pastor. Mm -hmm. Chris is over biblical education, which means you oversee all of the podcasts and, yeah. and things like that. Uh, and classes and different stuff like that. So how's that going? You've been in that role for a couple of years now. It's good. It's a, it's been a role of, of of trying things out, testing and tweaking. And so that I feel like that's the process that we're kind of going through. Um, the, the content doesn't change a whole lot, but the way in which we present it, right. we want to make it accessible. We want to make it easy to follow and um, engaging and, and, and really interesting for people because we want people to fall in love with reading, studying, and understanding what God is speaking to them. So Yeah. I just read right before I came over here, someone I follow on social media, they it was a church organization and they put reasons why your church might not be growing and you know five reasons and I clicked on it. One of them was um it, I'll say it in the redemptive that churches that are growing give opportunity for their people to grow in their discipleship mm -hmm. and their knowledge and stuff. And I, it was good to, to read and think, man, we we really are intentional about that. And mm -hmm. it's because of your leadership and doing a great job with that. Thank you. Um, for those that are joining, I'm Matthew Johnson, the lead pastor here at the Tree Church. And then to my left is Mackie, who is our director over campuses. Mackie, what in the world does that mean for those who don't <laughs> yeah. know what that means? Yeah, great question. So we're trying to repeat the experience here at the Tree in Lancaster and other communities. So one of the big, you know, answers to prayer is having Anthony, obviously, to pastor that next campus. And what we want to do is we want to reach this region for Jesus. So we want to go to plenty of communities throughout uh, middle Ohio and do what we're doing here in those communities. 
And you're overseeing that, right? Yeah, right. overseeing all that, all the ins and outs of like looking for, you know, facilities and uh, building up the staffing and the systems. And our church is so awesome and so wonderful that it's a really easy job because they already kind of have a lot of stuff figured out. So I'm kind of helping just put that puzzle together. So very cool. Yeah. All right. So here's the purpose of our podcast. Um, one of the things that we highly value as a church is we want to not just give people information, we want to mm -hmm. kind of walk through how they can apply it to their life. So mm -hmm. on Sundays when we're uh, communicating, so all four of us are on the teaching team, we have many others, and we're going to be rotating different people in. Um, but uh, when we communicate, we want people to know how to apply it to their lives. This series that we're in is not only is it a deep series as we're looking at what it means to be set apart by God, um, but each of the topics that we choose, it's impossible to do a complete under like teaching of it mm -hmm, in right, one yeah. Sunday morning sermon. Though I think I tried last week with I taught fifty seven <laughs> yeah. minutes. Yeah. Is that crazy? Yeah. Did you get that second service? I, yeah, I think that's when we put online yeah. and I saw it and I was like, <gasps> you know, like normally I'm trying to hit around like mid forties and I was like fifty seven. I, I will say this: I'm not going to try to encourage you to continue teaching that long, <laughs> but I will say it didn't feel like fifty seven yeah, minutes. That's good. So. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so we can't do all of it on, on a Sunday, and so we wanted to give some follow-up where we could discuss the topic, because even when we were sitting down as a teaching team, uh, and when I say teaching team, so it's us four, it's also Michael, Brandon, Stacy, and Mary. I think that's it, right? Yeah. And uh, so mm -hmm. um, the sit-down, when we're going over the topics, like you put a topic and there's like sub-point, 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 sub-point. So this podcast yeah. is talk about application, talk about the topics deeper, but then also there will be weeks where the topics are controversial, like this past week was. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we want to give an opportunity to engage what mm -hmm. people might be questioning, wrestling with, and uh, we do not shy away from questions. We, we don't even try to uh, discourage it. We try to encourage it. We should be wrestling with the truth. Mm -hmm. And uh, so when people have questions or pushback to us, that's never a negative. We're mm -hmm. like, let's engage it. Let's, mm -hmm. let's have a conversation because... We believe if there is truth, then truth's going to help us to find clarity where there's pushback mm -hmm. and different things. So this past week, we the topic of the message, so we're in week four of the series, but the topic of the message is when you want to kill Jesus. Mm. Obviously, shocking way to start a podcast. <laughs> um, but I, when I first had sent that out to our teaching team, and I told them, I said, I know that's a crazy title. It really was not meant for shock value. Um, one of the things that for me as a as a teacher, I, I don't really I, I realize using elements that are shocking can be a, an effective way to teach, but that's not a normal rhythm of mind right. of just trying to get shock value for the sake of that. But when I was studying, when I was on sabbatical and looking at all these stories, initially they were so abstract to me, where I'd see mm -hmm. these people want to kill Jesus, and you just I mean it's so easy to mm -hmm. glance over them as like just almost picturing those people as the worst of the worst. I mean, yeah. you wanted to physically kill Jesus, like how stupid, like I was almost disconnected from it. Yeah. And then there was just a moment, and I can't even tell you when it happened, there was just a moment when I started to see myself in some of their behavior. I think mm -hmm. it was when I started to like try to understand their perspective and then realized they don't even have the benefit that we do. Like yeah. we now look back with the gospels and we see we see Jesus through the resurrected Jesus. Like mm, we're yeah. seeing backwards. Right. Would we have had the same response mm -hmm. if Jesus walked in the room and had the same teachings and had the same mannerisms that would conflict mm. with our deepest convictions? And so that's where that series or that message came about is there's going to be a point in the series as we start looking at topics where we're going to be offended mm -hmm. and we're going to want to 
Now, killing Jesus, we know that's not going to happen, but we want to silence him. And that was kind sure. of the tension that I was teaching yeah. on Sunday yeah. is when we want to silence Jesus, it has the same effect. They wanted yeah. to kill him. That's an extreme. They wanted to kill him because they wanted to silence him. Right. Mm-hmm. We want to silence him too because we don't want the conviction. Okay. Yeah. So that, I'm just setting the foundation in case someone didn't watch it. And I encourage you to go back, set aside 57 minutes and go back <laughs> and, and watch the teaching. But let me just, I want to address the very first thing. So in this topic or in this message on Sunday, I reference multiple hot topic issues, highly offensive in our culture, highly debatable topics in our culture. Let me just pause and ask a general question. um, And you guys just jump in. Why, why, if someone were to say, why do you even, you guys as a church, even teach on offensive topics? Why wouldn't it be like, why risk to offend when there's so many other things you can deal with that quite possibly wouldn't have the same offensive nature? Yeah. I think, I mean, it's a simple answer, but it's not all encompassing, but Jesus did, right? Right. Like he, so throughout the gospels, you see every single time he brings up a topic that's subversive to the culture that people would walk away. But I think what I love about our church is that we won't shy away from that because we're not casting this wide net of like, we will, we won't compromise truth Mm -hmm. to be, you know, this wide net of like, anybody is welcome. Everyone is welcome. However, we won't compromise truth for that. And Jesus didn't either. Um, People did walk away when he would teach those things. And yeah, it's ultimately, it does happen. So I think not only does it, not only do we have to deal with the fact that Jesus was, was a teacher of truth, but Jesus bridged the gap and brought the message of truth and of life to the culture that he was in. And so for us to avoid those topics is to avoid the culture which, which we live in and this culture we're trying to reach. Right. So if we avoid that culture, um, there's no way that we can really bring the gospel to them. And so we have to, we have to be willing to enter into the conversations mm-hmm. that our culture is having. We have to be able to address, to talk about what are the ways Jesus thinks about the things that our culture is talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the other thing is we we don't get to define what it means to follow Jesus. Like Jesus does that for himself. <laughs> so I think if you you look at like what is the point of the church to make disciples? We're not just trying to get people to believe in Jesus in the traditional sense and what we when people hear the word believe, like when you look at what the gospels are saying, believe is mean, means to be bought in, to follow him, to you know, submit and surrender your life mm. in obedience to that reality. Um, so I think, you know, it's it's very important that we don't, as we've talked, we don't divorce discipleship mm-hmm. from that idea of responding mm-hmm. in faith that the two um, are, are intertwined, right? And so when we're calling people to follow Jesus, when we're giving people the accurate portrayal of what it means to follow Jesus, there's going to come times where we're going to address subjects that you know, are contrary to how people sure. are living and, and what Jesus is calling them to, as you said, Mackie, are subversive. And, and the offense yeah. is not for the sake of the offense, you know, right. and there are some churches right. that like they almost pride themselves in being offensive for the sake yeah. of being offensive. Mm. I don't think that's the goal. The goal is not to offend. Mm. The goal is to call people to the truth. And ultimately, the truth as Jesus defines it. I'll, yeah, I'm so I would also say this, too. We don't get to choose what topics are hot and which which aren't. Like if some of the topics we touched on, if we on Sunday, if we would have talked about them 50 years ago, it'd be probably a topic of conversation that was a more rarity. Mm -hmm. But we ultimately are basing our belief off the words of Jesus and on the Bible that's unshakable. And the fact that some of these topics are hot is not by our choosing. And we're still going to teach that truth whether a topic is hot or not, you know, for sure. You know, one of the things that I think sometimes we'll hear in our culture, I, I had an individual come up to me. Uh, he's a professor at a college, and uh, he was saying that at his school that he's a professor at, they had a banner up, and it was Jesus holding the rainbow flag, 
saying, I, I support this or, mm-hmm. or something along that line. And I think somewhat we have a mindset in our culture, like that picture in my mind illustrates what I'm about to say, is that we have a mindset that Jesus is so kind and gentle that he wouldn't be offensive. Mm-hmm. And yet yeah. mm-hmm. when you study the scriptures, you realize, no, he's he's so offensive that they killed him. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. And I think like mm-hmm. we forget that. But also Jesus did things like, I mean, I think about even like the image we want to paint a pic- of Jesus sometimes is that he kind of just floated through life and was just like super sure. encouraging because God is so encouraging. Mm. But we also forget that he's the same Jesus that mm. flipped the tables and drove people out of the temple and the same Jesus who, I mean, he, when he rebukes the Pharisees, like there's one account where he's saying like, woe you Pharisees, and he lists all these different things, and he is harshly hmm. rebuking them. Yeah. And yet it's like, we again, we almost disconnect that Jesus because we think in our minds... If, if Jesus is loving, which he is, then loving looks like this. And we define love. Yeah. Right? You know what I'm yeah. saying? Oh, okay. I do. Yeah. I think there's a whole generation of Christians, too, that my generation, when I was growing up in church, was the Jesus is your homeboy generation, right. which is like, if you have a shirt that says that or have said that, it's fine. I'm not mad at you for that. <laughs> but the belief behind that is a skewed view of friendship. Right. That like we believe a friend would just accept us how we are. Yeah. They wouldn't call us out and, you know, the stuff we're going through or the thing that we're processing, that they won't tell us truth at the end of the day, that they will accept us. And there's a very like blurred vision of what approval and acceptance really is. They're really not the same thing. Right. right. I, th- I think if you have if you have an idea of what's best for someone's life. So if you are th- like we, we've done CrossFit, some, or a lot of us have done CrossFit. Anthony, I know you've worked out before, but if we have the understanding that this mode of working out works best and, and will bring about the, the goals that you want to see. And we begin to tell other people about it. I know this was the way it happened for me. You, you said, hey, I've been working out doing this thing called CrossFit. And let me tell you about it. Here's why it's exciting. Here's why it's working for me. Here's what's going on. You are essentially in that moment inviting me into the best mm. life possible. Right. The, the offensive side of that is that I can't continue to go on doing nothing and I can't go continue to go on eating whatever I want to find the benefit of that life. I actually yeah. have to enter into that that place. And so when Jesus invites us, when he when he says something that stands against our personal desires and our offense, it's an invitation into greater life. And mm. so like Jesus's goal is to get us to the place where we are in a relationship with God where we're walking in his ways and we're finding the most abundant life possible. That's the most loving thing you can do. Yeah. I think the, the one thing though, that, that most people like even using that illustration, I think is, I think is great. But I think what a lot of people today would say is, well, there's different ways to do that, right? Like to, to accomplish the abundant right. life, yeah. sure. um, to experience mm-hmm. a flourishing life. Uh, everybody has their own way of doing that. Right. And so I think it comes to how do we even define terms? You know, what is loving? If, if love is fighting for the highest good of someone, well, we have to define what is the highest good. I think that's mm. the whole point of this series, right? Is yeah. the highest good is not defined subjectively. The highest good is defined by God who created everything, right? He created, mm-hmm. I think C.S. Lewis talks about, right, the human machine, sure. this idea that he created us to function a certain way. Right. So if we're calling people, you know, in love, to, we're fighting for their highest good, we're calling them to the standards that God has called them to because he's the one that created us. Well, right, but even by saying that, that, that's so offensive to our culture because truth is, relative now yeah. in our yeah. culture. So you're you're having to define you're defining truth on so many levels at that point of right. saying there is one way to which our culture would have this yeah. adverse reaction. Yeah, right. Not only is there one way, Jesus is the only way, and this only way is telling you that your way is wrong and evil. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. there's just layers yeah. to yep. it and it's offensive. Yep. Yeah. I, I was just gonna say like 
the, the whole idea of, of our culture biting into this postmodern idea really is, um, it, it's, it's understandable. I, 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 I'm going to, I'm going to go shock value here. It's understandable in the way that history has developed and, and the way that, that thought has developed over time. I mean, I'm in a, like a, a theology class right now where I'm learning about like how the development of thought came about, mm-hmm. um, why churches made the decisions they did and, and why, why we're wrestling with this idea that Jesus can hold a pride flag, like in what, when, right, yeah. when scripture gives a very clear teaching on it, in, in my opinion. But, um, the reason we do that is because there has been this thing where, where there's been this shift of what defines authority. Mm-hmm. Is it our experience or is it, mm-hmm. or is it something outside of ourselves? And history has shifted over the last couple hundred years to go, we cannot define or allow something to define out, uh, what is authority, what is true outside of ourselves. What, what is, we only experience truth through our own lenses, our own perspective. And so essentially we're the ones who define truth. So mm-hmm. this is, this is the world with which we've, we've kind of inherited right, these days. Yeah. You know sure. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, okay. So that's for me as the, the tension that I have is I recognize this in the world and in some ways, to the people I encounter that have that perspective that you're describing, mm-hmm. I'm like, we're not speaking the same language where we don't have mm-hmm. the same, like we don't have the same perspective and all that. And I understand that. And, and this sounds kind of weird as I say it, ultimately I want to change your mind, but I'm also, if you're not interested in having your mind changed, I'm not interested in debating you. Mm-hmm. It is the people who want to follow Jesus yeah. that I'm called to. Yeah, and those right. are the people I'm willing to offend because yeah. I'm saying we do have a common language because yeah. you're stating you have this common goal. And I'm telling you based on what he has revealed to us, mm-hmm. what you're doing is wrong. So like, there's even a tension that I have as a teacher and all you guys have felt it. You get up on stage and you're like, you recognize not everyone in this room is on the same page, but mm-hmm. I'm speaking to the people who have made this profession. Yeah, yeah. That's the direction I want to go. And, and that's like, that's the hard part. So people in our culture can go like, you're so, and fill in the blank. And I'm like, again, I'm not speaking to you though. Right. Um, I hope that you do want to follow Jesus. Yeah. I hope you want to know Jesus. And then I will be speaking to you. But until we have the same goal of honoring Jesus and following his ways, we're just speaking different languages. Th- this yeah. might, I'm sorry, go ahead, Mackie. Oh, no, I was going to, I was going to even build on what you guys said is like, you mentioned it on Sunday, the sexual revolution in America before, prior to that postmodernism really came to a head and has been launched and accelerated since the sexual revolution in the West. That's what postmodernism has done is it's taken the standard of truth and we no longer agree to a standard of a truth. Now. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's we're speaking, right. yeah, we're speaking two different languages. So I can't really talk to someone at the end of the day that doesn't have that same standard of truth. Uh, we're just kind of working with different material and that's yeah. what postmodernity really has. It's, it's yeah. failed us and yeah. in, in saying like truth is relative and with the internet, internet age as well, it's accelerating so quickly. Mm-hmm. But there's still a lot of people that are turning to Christ and want to follow Jesus and yet still have this, this postmodern mindset and this postmodern idea. So Matthew, how would you say, and, and maybe this is a basic question, but, but what would you say to someone who, who comes from that mindset and goes, Hey, it, I have to be able to experience this myself and understand that Jesus might be an ultimate authority. Why does Jesus get that place, and and how do how do we come to the to, to the place where we go? Yeah, Jesus, I, I want him to be my authority. 
Yeah, I mean that is, there's so many layers to that. You know, I think simple question, right? Yeah. So in the next hour and a half, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I, I think the tension is okay. Let's just talk about a person. What causes you to get to a place where you're open to Jesus or interested? Many different things. Mm-hmm. Um, it can just be the general way that the Holy Spirit draws us, and, and all of a sudden mm-hmm. your heart just feels that tug. Um, a lot of times there's a crisis moment that leads you to a faith moment where you just realize, and the crisis can be like, I've tried everything, somewhat like Solomon. You know, I mm-hmm. tried everything and found it wanting, and now I just need something real. It can be a yeah. crisis moment in, in a severe loss. But when you have that moment, and in that moment you're crying out to Jesus to then still say, but everything that he says to mm-hmm. me to walk me toward the life that he offers is subjective. Mm-hmm. At that point, it it just it's illogical, and sure. that that's a part in our culture. So, like as you know, Mackie said that we're not speaking the same language. He, I think, he even said like we're speaking two different languages. The truth of it is, we're speaking thousands of different yeah, languages. Yeah, in yeah, that, yeah. each mm-hmm. person is defining their own truth, and so like right. it is that part where you say to people, there has to be a moment when you do in your heart say, this person, I'm going to trust everything into this way of life to even experiment. Like mm-hmm. I, I would even challenge people experiment fully with Jesus, and He'll prove Himself to you. Mm-hmm. You know, in the sense good. of like, like enter in, like all bought in. But like, so I'm gonna go back to the CrossFit example because if you CrossFit, you have to talk about CrossFit. I mean, it's just <laughs> yeah. it's like rule number yeah. one. But okay, so you, you, you do said it like and evangelize, right? Right, exactly. You have to. <laughs> um, and so, but I would say like, okay, so perfect example. Like I, I told you about CrossFit. Mm-hmm. That's one layer of it, but the truth of it is, is if you're and you kind of alluded to this, if you're not exercising and eating healthy, mm-hmm. then like it kind of works against itself. So we have another person in our church, Todd Hansen, who is like the standard of fit, right? <laughs> I mean, he he's our hey, I'll describe him this no offense to this, Mackie, okay? He's one of our drummers, and when you look at him, he's he just looks like he's fit, right? Yeah. Like he has that like um I'm just going to say it, man. He wears a medium, right? Like his shirt, he's ripped. Like he, he just drums, you know, he's that drummer guy. Yeah. But Todd said to me years ago, he goes, you can't out, uh, you can't out, uh, what's the way he worded it? Uh, you can't unhealthy eat or you can't out crossfit a bad, bad diet. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. You can't yeah. out crossfit a bad diet. And, uh, and the truth of it is, again, it's like you can embrace a part of something, but you're not going to get the fullness of it. Right. And that's the same thing with Jesus mm. is if you're trying to pick and choose then you don't get what he really offers. And let's be honest, what's dangerous about that is you become jaded because you feel like, oh, Christianity didn't work. A relationship with Jesus didn't work. And you're like, we could Mm. rightfully push back and say, no, what you tried was something else. Mm -hmm. You tried Mm -hmm. your version of it. And I think that's what's so so dangerous about it. So for us, like when we're trying to teach the truth of what God has revealed to us, it isn't to be harsh, it's to be loving. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the tension. I even acknowledged on Sunday is like, Our culture has told us to be offended because our culture has defined things as unloving. Jesus would say the offensive things are loving. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that goes into, again, uh, how do we... Defining terms is so important, right? Like, yeah. how do we how do we define love? And, and obviously, Scripture, again, we, we believe that Scripture is the Word of God. Um, you know, there, there's not a dichotomy between truth and love, right? In fact, yeah. they're, they're two sides of the same coin, yeah. right? To, so to be loving is to be truthful, to be truthful is to be loving. Now you can do that in a way that is not very tactful. Um, and again, that's where it comes down to like, the goal is not to offend, but at some point in time, if we're calling people to life in Christ, you have to be honest about 
this is what that entails. And I think, yeah. you know, a, another part of that is maybe there's just been deficiencies in what we're calling people to and how we communicate that. Like I, I think about just an example of this, um, you know, baptism, you know, w- what are people expecting when they get baptized? What are they thinking? What are they so-called signing up for? Um, when Makar and I went on our honeymoon to Jamaica, we ended up having a lot of cool conversations with just the Jamaicans that worked at the resort. And we got in a conversation with one of them and uh, he said, you know, he was basically open to Christianity, but he said, I, I haven't been baptized yet. And the way he communicated it was like, he knew that if he got baptized, <laughs> right. it was like, he was all in. Like he yeah. had to, he knew that there was behaviors that mm-hmm. he was going to give up. Like, so he hadn't been baptized because he wasn't ready to make that commitment. Mm-hmm. So I think even part of it, going back to your original question, why do we talk about these things? Because we're, we're trying to be honest with people about what it looks like biblically to follow yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, okay, here, I'm going to put you on the spot, then I'm going to push back. I love what you just said. Give a few examples of, of how that has played out in the in the modern-day Christian church. And, and just, I'll tell you this as a preface, we never, aren't saying this to throw shade at another church. It's, sure. But we are seeing that consistently where there is a form of salvation offered that is divorced from discipleship. So you and I had a conversation mm-hmm. about this, this, I think it was actually on Sunday. Um, but how have how has that been divorced? Because... I think that is the danger. We're offering, like, even churches as a whole are offering yeah. people less than yeah. what mm-hmm. Jesus offered, and that's dangerous. So, could you give a couple of examples? Well, I just, I just think it's, it's almost, it almost comes in two parts, right? It's kind of like, you know, uh, say the sinner's prayer, or sign this card, raise your hand, and, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that initial. Hey, we want a response right. because yeah. we want to come alongside you. We want to have a conversation. Yeah. We want to get this thing going. You have to have some way to identify people in that, right? Um, but I think we've just divorced it. And, you know, and particularly like if you want to get in almost historical, right, the Protestant Reformation, the emphasis on faith and grace, I think a lot of Protestant churches particularly are afraid to talk about obedience because we don't want to portray this message that, <laughs> that somehow works. that's contrary to yeah. what we're mm-hmm. actually saying about how we're mm-hmm. saved. But I think, again, there are two sides of the same coin. It's not like option one, option two you know, two, uh, choose this one. This one's easier. Believe in Jesus with your mind and then everything else is cool. So I think it's just, how do we communicate that? What are we actually telling people when, when they're signing up for this life of faith to follow Jesus? So I think, um, just a part of the ways that we've done and and no shade at Billy Graham, because the dude brought (laughs) millions of people uh, to Jesus. But again, I think even some of the things that he said later on in his life, um, he, he recognized that there were some problems with the way things were communicated and that people weren't discipled in the faith. They, they yeah. kind of signed up to follow Jesus without learning what it looked like to actually yeah. follow Jesus. So I just think part of the, the methodology of the, the Western American church in the way that we communicate the gospel and how people respond to the gospel, I think has just been deficient in the way that we communicate it. Yeah. I think the American church, you know, in the past couple of decades, really, they focus on a movement, the seeker-friendly movement. And they wanted to remove hoops for people to follow Jesus. Yeah. I think we started removing some some of the wrong hoops, you know, yeah. like like discipleship, like, hey, this is a life and a standard of truth that you kind of follow, and you know, a sexual a biblical sexual ethic and all these things. And I think we removed a lot of the wrong hoops, you know, including discipleship, where Jesus is asking us when he when he asks us to follow him or we go to follow him, he's asking us to die to ourselves and to our prior preferences to follow him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's been a kind of a tragic thing, honestly, in our country that churches have just kind of dumbed that down and watered it down. Yeah, I think you, you, you get two sides of this where you get some churches that are so truth heavy that you, that it just drives people into the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you get the side that's so fear-based that it, it just, it allows anything to happen. 
And I mean, some of the other characters in like this the church, story, they're afraid. The churches are afraid to so address yeah. difficult mm-hmm. issues. Sure. Uh, and and I'm, I think we forget about the other characters in this part of the story. You have the the Pharisees who are like, truth, 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 Jesus offends me because, because it stands against what I believe to be mm-hmm. true. But then there's also the side where there's the disciples who abandon Jesus in, in moments. So there's this fear, and I think it's natural in us. We, we get offended when we're st- stood against, but we also back down in fear mm-hmm. whenever we're pressed against because um, following Jesus costs. And right. so, like, there's cost to standing up for truth. There's cost to living on both sides of that coin of mm-hmm. grace and truth. You're going to be seen as too liberal by some. You're going to be seen as too, too conservative by others. Yeah, right. and, and that's that's the tension that you got to live in to to follow Jesus down that middle road. That's honestly probably a good barometer too of like what your relationship with Jesus is like. Is when's the last time it felt like it cost you something? Mm-hmm. When's the last time mm-hmm. it felt like you were sacrificing something to follow him? And if it's been a while since you could say, yeah, that was a really tough part, then I feel like, you know, you should open up more and like kind of embrace truth because there's some things in your life that probably he needs to address in your life and that you need to embrace. And for sure, I, was, I mean, I'm just reading through Romans right now. I actually finished it this morning, but, and I've read a few of the other Paul's epistles recently, but you're reading them and you're like, my life doesn't look like Paul's in the sense of like, he, he's describing consistently conflict, right? right. Like there's like yeah. this battle going on. And I agree with you. There are times mm-hmm. in, in the Christian walk where it's like, when's the last time I was uncomfortable? When's the yeah, last sure. time I you know, sacrificed or suffered? Uh, all right, Anthony, I'm going to put you on the spot again. Um, you, you were, it feels like I'm targeting you. But, uh, <laughs> I know, yeah. Uh, no, you were a lead pastor too. So you, I'm making an assumption. Um, you spoke a majority of the time mm-hmm. on Sunday. Yeah. And, uh, so with that, I'm just curious, because I'm going to tell my perspective, because Chris just alluded to it, but when, when you got up to deliver the truth, you're not going to compromise the truth, but like, really, what is going through your mind and heart? Because I know like how I feel where... Because yeah. uh, I, I had people on Sunday, one person said to me, they were being very kind, and they were trying to encourage me, but they said, you know, don't apologize for preaching the truth. And I was like, I didn't apologize. Like, I, you might have heard me as apologizing, <laughs> but I didn't. Um, but... But yet there is a dynamic. There's there's an emotional response when I teach mm-hmm. of how I feel, and I'm going to explain how I feel. But I'm just curious. Again, we didn't I didn't prep you with this conversation, so we might not even feel the same way. Yeah. But I'm just curious as you've had to address difficult things. What is the emotions that you feel in that? Um, I, I mean, I think one. If I'm just being completely honest, I think there's a there's a part of me at times initially, like when when you're preparing a message like that, and you know. Um, this is going to make people angry. You, you know, even at the times you can think of certain people in the room that like specifically, hey, when right. I say mm. these things, they're going to probably get offended because you know what's... I mean, that's part of pastoral yeah. work, right? You know the lives of people. Um, there's a part of me, though, that that I would say is maybe a righteous indignation of like, why, why do we take this so lightly? Like, why do we take mm. following Jesus so lightly? And I would think there's a part of that that motivates me to be willing to speak the truth. But there is that other part of like, uh, the pastoral heart, right? A shepherd's mm-hmm. heart of like, I, I love these people and I want them to experience mm-hmm. the best life in Christ possible. Do I think that that means that if they do these things, everything's going to be super nice and awesome and they're not going to struggle? Like on the contrary, to, to Mackie's point, I, I think maybe that's one of the one of the struggles even in the American church is so much of American culture is based on comfort and convenience mm-hmm. that even yeah. the idea yeah. of the gospel message costing us something um, right, because we use the language. Yeah. It's a free gift. It's a free mm-hmm. gift, but it it actually costs you something. <laughs> you know, so I think even the passage you use of of Jesus saying to count the cost, you know, they have to deny themselves and take up their cross. Like that's the equivalent mm-hmm. of saying, you know, yeah. uh, sit in the electric chair. Like sit. Mm-hmm. 
Right, Sit in yeah. the electric chair. That's that's what it means to follow me around, right? To die to self. So the very language being used. But I think it comes down to really anyone who's being sincere about it. You, you love your people. You want them to know truth. You want them to encounter true life in Christ. And you know that there's no way around actually having these conversations because um, there's a lot of other voices out there. They're, they're being mm-hmm. deceived, not only just by society in general, but but we're seeing, I think part of the reason, even going back to your earlier question, part of the reason why we have to have some of these conversations is we're seeing now uh, a prevalency in the church to accept some of the things that culture is accepting and calling it good and okay and normative. Mm-hmm. And so I think that is just, that is like, that's a danger. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think there's a, an aspect of even what I would call like the prophetic voice of of having hard conversations and warning people about things um, that they need to be warned about. And, and even again, as we were talking on Sunday um, in the office after service, like just that that Matthew 7, 21, where, where Jesus is like, you know, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, mm. will right. inherit the kingdom, um, you know, but the one who does the will of my father like that. I've never met a pastor who is not absolutely terrified by that passage because right. it's such a sobering remark. And not only to us as individuals that all of us should be reflecting on, but again, thinking back in terms of like, I'm being entrusted to the, you know, the the souls of these people are being entrusted to me as the senior leader. Therefore, I need to do all that I can do um, to be faithful to what God has called me to do in in my Mm -hmm. communication to them. Yeah. Uh, All right. I'll come back. I'll answer the question myself later, uh, too, for how I feel. But I want (laughs) to go off to another thing you just said. You know, one of the dynamics is so we talked about this Sunday after uh, after the second service. We're in the office, uh, kind of debriefing some stuff. And the reality, so the passage paints this picture of people being shocked that they're not in a relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And, and what's devastating about that, there's like two layers to it, is one, when Jesus says that, he gives this like hypothetical moment where people are going to be shocked. But what's devastating about it is from all the years since he wrote it and this and his teaching has been taught, every single audience who hears it there will be people in there that think it doesn't apply to them, and they are specifically the ones Jesus is talking about. So, like on a Sunday, we get up and teach, and it's we don't know a percentage, but there could be a percentage of the room that thinks they're okay with Jesus and they're not. And I think that's that sobering reality mm-hmm. of if you don't keep teaching truth, are you encouraging people in their ignorance who are not actually in a relationship with God? Like that's the calling we have is to constantly hold up that mirror to them. To confront them, and the, and if it's not motivated by love, I think that's where churches. Yeah. Like you were talking yeah. earlier that the, they want to use the hammer of truth. Mm-hmm. If it's not motivated by love, I think it is really harsh and it's not empowering. Um, but it is still loving. Okay, so that let me say all this now to say, why is it? Do you think I said it this way? I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you what I said, and I want you to tell me how smart it is. Okay, that's what it feels <laughs> like. But uh, on Sunday, I was talking about. I think it really is a tool that our culture uses to silence Jesus is to call the truth unloving. Mm-hmm. Um, have you guys seen that played mm-hmm. out? Mm-hmm. What, yeah. What do you think? I mean, what, why does culture doing that? Yeah. The obvious is what I just said, like if there's a, a true evil force behind it. But then also, like, what is the other reason why our culture thinks what is loving is to be, like you said earlier, to be that friend that supports you in all things? Yeah, I think there's something at the human level that like, think of your personal relationships where if there's ever been someone in your life that you know you need to call them out on something or you know you need to tell them the truth on something, mm-hmm. but it's just hard because you don't want to offend them or you don't want to lose that friendship or relationship. Um, I think there's like something at that human level that all of us think 
to love this person is to just bury it and not bring it up or to not address it right. where we know that's not the truth. Right. So I think that at a grander scale outside of just a personal relationship, I think we often just fool ourselves into thinking that's the best way to love this person is to not bring it up to, you know, disregard it at all costs. Let's change the subject. Right. Which I have a friend and they have a hard time with their family and their whole family dynamic really is we don't talk about anything real. Mm -hmm. Like we, we yeah. change the subject. Mm -hmm. If something's going on in the family, if there's drama, even if there's things that are like unchristlike, ungodly going on in the family, and this is a family full of believers is they won't address it at all because there's a fear there that there's disconnection, that that person's going to be offended and push me away, push my family away. And at the end of the day, I feel like there's, guided by the Holy Spirit, there has to be a decision to make. I was like, okay, is the best way to love this person to tell them this truth and to deliver it to them in a certain way? And I think there is, and I think we just have to embrace that at times. I, I think, too, there's this idea that, that to push against somebody is to injure them and to do violence against them. Mm -hmm. um, and this is the language that I think that our culture uses at times. And, and I think about it and in light of like even discipline my kids, like, you could look at my life and say, because I, because I hold my kids to a standard, because I discipline them, because I correct behavior that they have, that I am not, um, that, that I am in some way damaging their psyche because mm -hmm. I am standing against something, not walking with them in something, you know what right. I mean? And creating that structure. Our culture does that to the nth degree of, of if we stand against something, we're damaging them, we're, mm. we're hurting them. We are, we might cause them, um, to have harmful thoughts. We might cause them into depression, like push them into depression. And so there, I think there is a legit literal, like there's a legit fear that, that our culture has of there, there are dire consequences to standing up against mm -hmm. somebody. Right. And, and so I think that that's a legit fear, but at the same time, it, it, those things and, and thinking about it in the context of my kids, like when there really is like good structure set around them, they thrive. Mm -hmm. right. and, yeah. and, and that's the part that I think our culture just misses so much is that we do best when we have structure set around us, kind of guiding us, leading us and helping us along the way to keep us moving towards a path towards life. Mm -hmm. I would say the other part of this, you know, Mac and I had this conversation. Um, I think like the way we've defined morality has changed. So like you mentioned, like you go back to the fifties and sixties, there were certain things, you know, women could not wear anything like the, the things that they would wear back then, if they wore anything even remotely close to today, like the standards were radically different. Right. So the standards for morality were different today. I think the standards of morality are less about behaviors and more about tolerance. And we had this conversation mm. where you said, yeah, you, they wouldn't necessarily call tolerance morality per se, but I think mm -hmm. the standard of being a good person is being a tolerant person. Mm -hmm. So the more tolerant yeah, you are, the better yep. that you are as a human being. Mm -hmm. And so I think that is a part of this conversation than to be a person who is stirring up conflict, not because it's intentional, but to call someone out to address a behavior. Well, you're not being a tolerant person mm -hmm. then. You're not, right. you're not tolerating this person's behavior and decision and, and honoring their own individual autonomy. And I think the other thing, uh, particularly when it comes to behaviors and, and actions, is we kind of collapse that into identity in the sense of this is who you are as a person. So there's no disconnect between who a person is as what we would as Christians believe a person is created in the image of God. And, and in saying that we 
you know, acknowledge their worth and their dignity mm -hmm. and, and that they are worthy of respect. But that doesn't necessarily mean everything everyone does is as well. Right. <laughs> so I think that yeah. even that there's a distinction there that just because a person does something, that doesn't define who they are. That's not the totality right. of who they are as a human being. And we have to be able to distinguish that because then it's not an attack. I'm not attacking you, your dignity as a human being. But also the way that we communicate, it shouldn't be portrayed as an attack anyway, right? The way right. that we go about addressing it should truly be in love. But I think that's another part of the conversation, the way that we tolerance is a buzzword and, and the people who are more tolerant in our society are portrayed to be the best people. Yeah. And you think about it's such a weird time in the sense of you said, you know, there's obviously a fear base when we're, if we're disciplining our kids and, and use those different examples. But if you think about it, our culture has removed any outside standard of absolutes and truth and mm -hmm. things like that. So our culture is walking through an ongoing experiment. Mm -hmm. Like it, every generation is just simply experimenting based on what worked and what didn't work. Mm -hmm. That existence would be terrifying to me because yeah. everything mm -hmm. is an experiment. You're mm -hmm. trying to figure it out. And so like in that sense, like our culture is trying to figure these things out. And when we're coming in going like, it's already been figured out, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like yeah. God has yeah. revealed these things, <laughs> yeah. but you're right. So like, it is a weird dynamic because they want you to be tolerant. And yet we're saying like, we're looking at it with an urgency saying, mm -hmm. but I could so solve that issue that yeah. you're having. Have you guys seen that video? This is about a husband and wife type of thing where the girl literally has a nail coming out of her yes. forehead. Have you seen yeah. this video? Yeah. yeah. And uh, you don't see it in the initially part of the video. It's a comedy video, but you don't see it. And she's just going like, I have a headache. And the husband's trying his best not to solve the problem. And, he, and then he finally <laughs> just like, He's like, but if you have a nail coming out of your head and she's like, quit talking about the nail. And he's like, but I think it would really, you know, <laughs> yeah. fix it. But I think like that's how it feels at times yeah. where you're like, I, I see the problem. I hear your heart. Mm -hmm. I, I hear you talking about the tension of it, but I could resolve it by telling you about Jesus. And yet, mm -hmm. yeah, there's just that tension there. I think there's a lot of that tension in our culture. And I think we are starting to see some of the like dividends that being paid, unfortunately, sure. for that. Like you look at rising divorce rates, you look at, you know, things that happen even from 2020 now, like the the results of a lot of the choices that are being made in a, at a widespread rate, we're, we're starting to see that. And I think it's, I think people are even starting to pull back as like, they are finding that line, like you said, like constantly experimenting. But I think we're starting to see some of the negative consequences of that experiment, unfortunately, too. Sure. And, and that's what's interesting, too, is that you are seeing the negative results of the experiment, but their their solution to it is to experiment a different way. Yes. Yeah. Like, yes. Let's experiment with something else. And and that's the sad part about mm -hmm. it is they're experimenting not just with people's physical lives, but their eternal lives. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that, again, that's the urgency that, that Christians have. It's like yeah. if we believe this is true, which mm -hmm. we do, then we don't want people's physical lives or eternal lives to be at stake. Right. Um, let me ask you guys a question. I'm going to go back to something, Mackie, you were talking about just the idea of being a friend and confronting. Um, I think a lot of people have probably never confronted anybody. Yeah. I mean, I shouldn't say anyone. Like, they might have confronted a spouse, like, right. in, in mm -hmm. frustration. Yeah. Um, I think we all have done that, or maybe a sibling. But I'm saying, like, a friendship relationship, yeah. especially in the Christian context. I'm going to give an example, but I want you guys to think of and I want you, obviously, to be vague. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Don't name your friend that you had to confront. Here's, here's what he said. <laughs> yeah, but I want I just I want us to give some examples of what that might look like because I would imagine there's people that go like, I'm supposed to confront people. Mm -hmm. Like, what does that look mm -hmm. like? Okay, so I'll give an example, then you guys can jump in. Uh, I had a friend that 
uh, kept asking uh, to talk with me about a situation. They're, they're not a Christian. They weren't at the time. Hmm. And they kept asking me about a situation, and like they wanted basically to kind of complain and vent to me and gossip about a situation and that they were involved in that I knew that, like, logically they had to be lying about. Mm-hmm. And so like there was like this tension where I was like, I can just keep letting this person vent yeah. and act like I'm their friend, or I can confront them on it. Mm. And, and so like, there is a, there was a very real moment when I sat down with them where I thought this might be the last conversation we have, Mm -hmm. because if I bring this up and they respond negatively, first of all, we were at a meal and that's always weird because you're like, (laughs) where do we go from here? here? (laughs) You sit in silence, you know, but I just went, I said, Hey, can you, you keep, and this is how I worded it to them. I was like, you, you keep inviting me into this situation, but I'm not sure you're being completely honest. And they're like, no, no, I promise, I promise, I promise. And I said, okay, hold on. And I started to just lovingly push back. You said this, I talked to the other side, and they said this. Mm. And what they're saying makes sense. And, mm. and we walked through, and no, 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 no. Okay, but what you're saying doesn't... And I kept just pushing back, and, and finally they went, you're right. No. You're right. You're right. Mm. I haven't been truthful. The reason why I tell that story is it led to me leading this person to Christ, wow. because at the end of the story, I said, okay you keep trying to find life in all these other things that's never going to bring you life. Let mm-hmm. me tell you who can bring you life. And I just explained it mm-hmm. to him. And, and I remember that moment where I went, like, my fear is like the worst case scenario is this is it. We're never going to be friends. You know, like you're going to write me off because you're not going to think I have your back. But the best case happened in that they were open to faith and had a, a salvation moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what it looked like for me. How about you guys? Um, I'll, I'll share one that actually happened to me. So I was on the receiving end of this just because I, I think it's important for people to, you know, not sure. to think that we never screw up. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so one of them, I'll tell uh, my top five after you're done. Okay. Great. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, one of them was an example. So it was, it was and I, we had some friends, uh, from church older than us. Um, we've, you know, known him for years, really good people. He's, he's one of those guys that, you know, I had kind of bonded with and we have a relationship where he's kind of, uh, you know, a spiritual mentor to me. Sure. And uh, so we've known him for years, right? We we had dinner over at their house one night, and we're sitting there. And um, at some point, one of them was talking about their kids. And of course, their, their kids are like older than us. But, mm-hmm. you know, they're talking about them. And at some point, Makara, my wife, she, she goes, uh, how many kids do you guys have again? And I remember like in the moment being like so annoyed and, and like almost offended by that question, because I was like, we've known them for years. Like, how do you not how do you not know this? Right. And so I kind of like, I kind of roasted her at the dinner table for that because I was annoyed and I was, I felt like embarrassed. That was really sure. what was going mm. on. I felt embarrassed by it. So anyway, I kind of just spouted off and said something like a snarky remark or whatever. Well, later that week uh, at the church, my, my friend who, you know, we were having dinner with, he, he pulls me aside and just basically rebuked me. Like, was like, Hey, the way that you handled that situation oh, wow. and, and what you said, uh, to Makaira at the dinner table was, was uncalled for. And like, I was like, I was, I felt awful, but I was like, I know like a hundred percent, like <laughs> I, I agree with you. Um, and so like, there's times where even now, like my relationship with Makaira, like I think about that and I, yeah. and it's mm. like, it's become an important that, part that you're of, still thinking about. Yeah. Yeah. And there was, there was another one actually, before we got married, um, there was a, a, a guy that we saw, he wasn't a marriage counselor. He wasn't even a pastor. He was someone that actually did ministry with the navigators. If you guys know who the navigators are. Um, but anyway, he, another, another older gentleman, 
we were having a conversation. I just said, Hey, I would love for you to like, just speak wisdom into, you know, our upcoming marriage. And, mm-hmm. um, and so one of the things that happened, he would ask us some questions. Well, I'm kind of the extrovert external processor. So I would always lead the conversation. I would always start talking. And, um, at some point he just stopped and he goes, Anthony, I noticed you, you talk over Makara a lot. And, uh, if you continue to do this, like it's going to build up resentment and bitterness. And mm. I'm not kidding. That was nine years ago. I still think about that mm. conversation. Wow. Yeah. So these are things that have stuck with me, but in the best of ways, man, yeah, they were zingers right. in the moment. I felt embarrassed, but like, I'm, I'm so grateful for them because yeah, they shaped right. who I am and who I'm becoming. And so I think, I think we need that. Like, I think yeah. everybody in yeah. the body of Christ, we need that Absolutely. to be molded and shaped. Yeah. yeah. I've got a friend, um, over probably my longest standing friend. And, you know, at the beginning of our friendship, because they were so good at confronting me and because they were almost too adamant at it at first, we were like, I don't know if this friendship's going to last. You said that in such a redemptive way. They were yeah. so good at confronting they were, me. They were. It's like, I can look back now, but at the time, right, when it's first happening, right. you're developing a friendship. It's like, what is your deal with me? But now that we've been yeah. friends for over a decade, yeah. I know. I'll be vague. It's Pastor Michael. So. <laughs> you know, it's funny um, what he said. I was like, I feel like it's Michael. Yeah, right? yeah, it is. So I, and I know he'll be okay with me sharing this because Pastor Michael has always been so good at being so super honest with me and being and confronting me and doing it in a loving manner. Um, and again, we've, our friendship has stood the test of time, not in like, not because of that, not in spite of it, but because of it. Right. So a lot of times that just to defeat that idea that your friends will always leave you if you call them out or anything, Mm -hmm. it's been a two way relationship too. Not only as he say, Hey, I've got these things as like, you should take a look at this or you call me out on this. He also says, if there's ever a time you feel like talk to me is like, and it's Mm -hmm. been such a great two way street, but that's just like, in my mind, when I think of that, it's such a good example too, of like, those are friends that will last to the end, you know, Mm -hmm. friends that are closer than the breath that like, will be honest with you. People that you remember from years later that would call you out in something that's happening in your marriage. You know what I mean? So I think it's just really important and really special. I want to speak to it from a perspective of somebody you mentioned earlier that you you think people have never had hard conversations with people. Um, The hard conversations I've had with people are few and far between and and getting closer together as I've come on to leadership, like over the last 14 years and whatnot, I have lived a lifetime of like that, that fear of people pleasing or Mm. not the fear of people, but people pleasing and uh, fear of being rejected. If you, if you speak, if you speak into a situation and so the process of learning to overcome that has been been beautiful, though. Like in, right. in in the ability to come into a situation where you're where you've prayed about it, you've yeah. thought about it. You're not going and and if you're of that mindset and you you're that way, like mm-hmm. you, if you're ever sitting on the other side of a table from somebody who is you know never confronts things on a regular basis, you you know you're in the safest spot, spot possible when they come to you and they go, what you're doing is is off right, base yeah. because mm-hmm. they don't want to be there. I can tell you that right, right now. Yeah. They don't want to be there. And so, but what they've done is they've prayed and they've gone, this is more important, this relationship, yeah. th- your health is more important. And so walking through and navigating that process of what I'm doing, what the Spirit is calling me to do in this moment is loving and it's more important than even my selfish fear of being rejected. And so like that is the process that God has taken me through even up to the, like I've had a lot of opportunities with, um, with being a pastor, but, but also in my friendships and even in my relationship with Cassie and which I don't often tell her she's wrong with anything, but, (laughs) (laughs) but you know what I mean? So like, but in those areas where we just have to have honest conversations, God is just, God can grow you and change you. Even if you're not naturally 
and I don't think anybody's naturally bent to like confrontation. So I don't, I don't think it's that way, but even if it's like, if it's something that you're scared to do, like it is, it is the most loving thing to do and it is worth it when God calls you to do it. So for sure. Uh, two quick thoughts. Uh, One is, um, I have made a commitment that if you have like, if you have something in your teeth, if you have something on your face, I'm the guy that tells you because I think it's the most loving thing to do. Even today I was at lunch, uh, with a friend of mine from church and, uh, he at one point had, uh, uh, wiped his mouth from his, um, chocolate chip cookie, but then he started coughing and he wiped that chocolate right on his face. He didn't know it. Mm -hmm. And he was talking long enough that I was like, I wanted a break because I just wanted to say, you got chocolate on your chin. Because I'm that guy that will like, will tell you because again, in my mind, I think I would want someone to tell me if I have something in my teeth and stuff. Second thing I would say real quickly is, um, I think we have to create an environment where people feel safe to, to confront Mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. So like, like your, your friends that confronted you and, and Michael with you, if you had the persona and the the personality of like being confrontational and that you wouldn't be open to it, my guess Mm -hmm. is they wouldn't. Sure. And that's a dangerous place for us to be individually. Mm -hmm. So like, I would say you need to do this in your friendships, but if you're married, you especially need to do this in your marriage is to create a safe environment where your spouse can confront Mm -hmm. you. Mary and I have, have done this in our marriage where we can both point out things with each other. And it's not always easy. I mean, mm-hmm. like it, it rarely is like, yeah, there's yeah. never a moment where Mary has pointed out something I need to change in my life where my initial response was like, I'm happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see some people that almost feel that way. Oh, thank you brother for telling me that. And I'm like, that's not me. Like my pride, <laughs> Mary's criticism is always met with my pride. Right. Initially. It's always like, mm-hmm. ouch. Mm-hmm. Even if I can on the outside handle and go like, I might even say, like, thank you for sharing that. You guys ever do that? Or you're like, mm-hmm. thank you, you know, in your mind, <laughs> yeah. you're like, and, you know. How dare you actually dare say you? that? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But to engage and go, okay, you know, so, like, I think about, I shared this with a staff this week, but, or, yeah, maybe it was last week. Um, I was talking to Mary. We were talking about rhythm in our marriage, and I said, um, how would you want me to respond to the situation? And she goes, I would actually want your first response to give me grace. Mm-hmm. And she said that. And I was like, and I said to our staff, I'm like, I've taught on grace a thousand times. I understand yeah. grace, giving grace, yeah. the ports of grace. And yet for some reason, hearing my wife say that went right to my heart and mind wow. to where mm-hmm. now there's been a th- like probably a hundred times where I, in my impatience and selfishness, would have gone to frustration mm-hmm. on something. And I literally say the words to myself, give her grace. Give her yeah. grace. And that when I, I jokingly said to our staff that it makes it sound like I'm noble, like I'm walking around giving her yeah. grace. But that's not what I mean. Where I it would have been my sinful response. Yeah. It would have been yeah. my like in, impatience and like, yeah. well, do this. Why aren't you doing this? You know. And so like I agree with you. Like you said, these two conversations stick in your mind and you mm-hmm. replay them. That's a beautiful moment that mm-hmm. now going forward, you're better for it. Yeah. Now going all the way back to where this discussion began. In our culture, like you were talking about, like our culture doesn't want that, yeah. and and so as a result, they're being hurt. And so, like that is the beauty of the church and the body of Christ is people that are saying, "I love you enough that I'll make you uncomfortable. I'll love you enough that I'll be uncomfortable. I'll love you enough to risk the friendship mm-hmm. yeah. because we believe the end result you're going to be better for it, and your relationships are going to be better for it." Yes, you know, imagine someone calls you out, a friend of yours calls you out in your marriage, and. Or imagine they don't, right? And your marriage, unfortunately, ends in divorce because of something that 
what what kind of right. difference could you have made yeah. if you just said something or years ago? Yeah. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? I think when that's what I think about when I think of these kinds of topics is like, what could I be even saving them from? Not that I'm like this person that needs to go save you, you know, yeah. but it's like if it's the truth of Jesus and, and like God teaches it, then it's like I, I want to deliver this to you. It's like, right, we know eternity is at stake, but also it's like man, I feel like Jesus offers a different life, an abundant life. And yeah. it's like, what would this hard conversation achieve for your personal life? Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think one of the things like you, you alluded to it is like, I, I think giving people like particularly the church, right? Again, we're, t we're talking to Christians in the sense that Christians are the ones that are holding themselves to the standard of Christ, right? right. Um, not the world. And, and, you know, Paul talks about that in first Corinthians five, like we're, we're to ultimately judge those inside the church, not those outside right. the church, right? Sinners going to sin, <laughs> you know, we're supposed to call Christians to a certain standard. But I think one of the things that we should also do is, I think of um, the scriptural example of like Galatians 2, where Paul confronts Peter and it, and it says, you know, he posed him to his face because his actions weren't in step with the gospel. And I, I remember I actually did a, I did a teaching on that. And my point was actually to point out not only that we should be the people who are willing to confront, but willing mm. to be the people who are confronted. Yeah. And so I think yeah, creating a good. culture where it's saying, hey, there's going to be times where you're going to be on the receiving end yeah. and and take mm. this as a grace. It's not going to feel like grace in the moment, <laughs> like to your point. Yeah. Um, but, but if your ultimate goal is to become more like Jesus and to conform yeah. your life and to experience the fullness of that abundant life he desires, then you should take it as a grace. And it's going to be hard. Mm. But we should we should teach people that that is a practice. Like receive mm. correction, receive that from someone else who you know, um, it, you know, cares about you. But also be willing. There's going to be times you need to be the one who's willing. No one else is going to do it for you. No one mm, else right. is going to have the hard conversation. And and being faithful to God in this moment is being willing to confront it. Again, do it in love. Make make sure they know. Hey, I love you. I care about you right. so much that okay. I want to have this conversation. And I think that's you. a pivotal part of it too, yeah. is you, you have to have relational context. Yeah. There are, there are yeah. times that people will talk to me about confronting others. And I'm like, what's your relationship like first? Yeah. Because yeah. like you're talking about some like person you have, you, you've said hi to twice in two <laughs> years at the office, you know, like yeah. Yeah. you're not in a position to confront them. You're, yeah. you're not the person God has placed there to be the confrontation yep. to them. Um, so I think I think relational context is really important. If, yeah. if we're not s we're connecting and loving and going out of our way, I don't think we've earned the right to do some of those things. I think the other thing too is is creating that space of this isn't going away. Be this relationship is not going to go away because we are having right. this conversation. Um, I, I was thinking about like even like as you talked on Sunday, and I was thinking about when we were preparing for this podcast, the question of like, how do we live in relationship with somebody that we've confronted? We love them. Yeah. And we're in relationship with them on a consistent basis. Like, and, and can we be in a relationship with, relationship with them on a consistent basis, even though they have rejected the, the, mm. the, the way that we've confronted them? Um, I think of parents who, who have um, kids that are, are dealing with same-sex attraction, the, uh, parents that dealing with kids with, like, that are making poor choices, you know what I mean? Or, or grandparents or what, what have you. Can there still exist a relationship when you've had conversations, you've had loving conversations, but there's still a level of disconnect? And how do those look? Because I think, mm. particularly in like close relationships, like how do you function in that that relationship when you disagree on the the topic at hand? Yeah, I think like even what Matthew was saying earlier about his marriage is like it's all learned skill, right? Mm -hmm. So in in the beginning of a relationship, you may not be very great at taking that correction or 
but you have to learn that skill if you want that relationship to last, right? Yeah, so that's sure. true in marriage, and I think that's true in friendships. It's like grow. you may not be great at first at it, but mm-hmm. embrace that you're not good at it and, and learn that to take correction, to take rebuke, even if it comes to that. And I think there's like better things for you on the other side of that. Yeah. And Chris, what you're saying, that really is a tension that I don't know that I have the answer to. Because I actually was thinking Mm -hmm. about the same thing today of it is – it's tough. So I was the primary teacher on Sunday. I was the only teacher on Sunday. Um, (laughs) But I I taught on Sunday, and I was processing it before the message and after the message of of just imagining how other people were processing it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That is one of my methods of teaching is, I think, how is this going to be received – so I can communicate it the best way. But I thought, what about the very, very um, examples you gave? I thought, what about the parent who has a child who is claims to be a follower of Christ and is choosing to reject biblical principles? Mm-hmm. How do you continue to respond mm-hmm. to them? Mm-hmm. And and that I, I have to be honest, I don't know that I have the exact answer for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you guys do, jump in. But I'm just saying, like, there is a tension because in in, in one hand. We have the Paul example of the one person in Corinthians who's having an affair with his, it sounds like his stepmom, mm-hmm. and he's like, cast that brother out. Yeah. Like, kick him out of the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then later on, it seems to be that Paul is, it might be that guy, but it might be somewhere else, that Paul's like, that person, whoever it is that we confronted on, whatever issue mm-hmm. it is, you guys need to let them back in. But there is this dynamic on if mm-hmm. that is the same person, and even if it's not, the truths are communicated on both ends of the spectrum. This person wants to live in sin. There's a consequence to it. Mm-hmm. This person repents. There's a way that we respond. You welcome them back in, but it is dependent upon repentance, and that is a challenge that I I don't know because what we want to say, and even as I say this, I feel uncomfortable saying it. Mm-hmm. Like I have to be honest. This is the part of Christianity where I go. This is still a challenge to speak this out loud. Yeah. There is a tension. There's a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a higher calling. There's a fallout for the person who wants to continue to claim to be a follower of Christ, to be a part of the body of Christ that wants to act in a sinful way, mm-hmm. that in love, that community has to hold them to a standard. Mm-hmm. Our culture would say, don't do that. Right. Our culture, even the Christian culture would say, no, 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 you have to let them in. And I go, man, the, the tension I have is that's not what Paul said. Mm-hmm. You know you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like, yeah. And I, I wish I could soften this, but I go... I just don't know. Now, for the person in your family that doesn't claim to be a believer, doesn't follow Christ, it's a different response. You're saying, Absolutely. like, it's we, yeah. we treat them differently. Yeah. Like, And then then also with Paul, all throughout his writings, again, today in Romans, as I'm finishing up reading, Paul's talking about, like, this total humble position to, to, to treat people. Like, don't try to offend people unnecessarily. But again, he's not saying compromise standards. So I, I don't have the right answer. You, yeah, no, good right. questions, but I'd love your guys' thoughts. I don't really know. Yeah, I mean, the the thing is, is it's always easy to pretend like Scripture is black and white, right? <laughs> like, it, you know, this is how it lays it out, and this is what you should do. Um, but I think it misses the nuance of a lot of a lot of you know situations that we find in the modern church. Um, yeah, so I, I think you know, for example, like you're, you're talking about really excommunication, which is not right. a term that we throw around often, or most people maybe they don't even know what it is, which is essentially to kick someone out of the church. Right. Um, so I think I think there's a part of it. Yeah, how does the church leadership deal with those situations? What do you do with mm. a person who, like in our case, is is core right? right. Um, and you find out that they're living in willful sin. It's been addressed. Right. They're unrepentant. They continue to do it. How do you handle that versus 
in a in a family setting, right? You have a right. a, mm. a brother or a sister, like biological brother or sister, who claims to be a Christian, and they're living in habitual sin. You've had a conversation with them. How does that relationship look? Right. Mm. You know, do you now treat them differently? So I think even there's nuance even to that, like yeah. in a family situation versus the church. How does the church handle this? How do how do you as an individual and a family handle it? Um, the family one I think is tough, right? I think you have to have again going back, you have to have those hard conversations with them because again, if you love them mm. and if you love the church, like that's yeah. I think a big part of this that is missed is like one of the things I think Paul is doing in First Corinthians five is he's trying to preserve the integrity of the church, mm. right? Like so letting right, right. letting people who claim the name of Christ run rampant in unrepentant sin brings reproach upon the name of Christ and the church. And I think it's actually part of the reason why you, you meet so many people who are like, you know, this person goes to this church and this is the life that they're living, right? Because it's kind of like, well, we're, we're going to relax our standards and people can kind of do whatever they want and we're not going to call anybody out. So I think it's actually one of the one of the things that Paul's concerned with, right, is the, okay, so, the yeah, reputation I, of the church, you know. And I think if we're being honest as the Christian community, I'll, I'll be a specific example, is I think Paul's trying to protect the church, and the church no longer calls sexual sin sexual sin. Yeah. Right. And now it's so rampant in the church that it's not even a thing. So yep. as I say this, if you're a listener, give me a second to explain this, because it's going <laughs> to sound real harsh. Um, I have people come to me as the pastor and we'll talk about vacations they took with their boyfriend or girlfriend or that they live with their boyfriend or girlfriend. There's no embarrassment. There's no shame. There's no guilt. There's no mm -hmm. conviction, nothing, because in their mind, it's not even a thing, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and the sad part about it is I've been really clear in teaching on the topic, and, and yet it's because culture has so allowed it, and even the Christian culture, that it's not even a thing. So it's almost like when we speak about it, it still just doesn't even register. I mean, to right. a shocking point yeah. where you're yeah. like, you know what I'm, you guys get what yeah, I'm saying? I so like, I think about like, so Paul's example, like, have you guys seen the meme that if Paul was still around today, some of you churches would be getting letters? <laughs> yeah. You know, like yeah. you, you wonder yeah. like, would Paul be looking at modern day churches going, guys, you're not, you're not challenging any of these so-called yeah. mm -hmm. Christians. And I'm just using sexual morality because it, it can be a really obvious thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying it's a worse sin. Yeah. Um, but it's just that dynamic. And I want to be clear, what I wanted to say earlier, if you're listening, I, I'm not saying that people, I want them to be ashamed and, and to mm -hmm. hide their sin, mm -hmm. but it's just the fact that it's not even sure. a thing anymore that I'm like, that's what I find so shocking. I, I think the the struggle, though, is is that you use words that our culture does not know or mm -hmm. understand. Yeah. Like the whole concept of, of it being irreverent to God, the yeah. whole concept of it being like... Um, a, 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 I forget the exact term you used. Um, just bringing reproach. Yeah, just a reproach. That's yeah. the word. Like to bring a reproach against the church, like to value the church. Yeah. You, to to be irreverent to it, you have to value it in the first place. Absolutely. To to be irreverent to God, you have to value His authority in your life in mm -hmm. the first place. Like and and like we just don't have. I don't think we have concept of that, and you know what right. I mean. I think yeah. we have a very laid, very laid back idea of who God is, and and I think. Again, I I always live in that that place of like there there's good reason for the 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 places we get to as a culture as as mm -hmm. as a way we think as human beings. I, I think there's been a lot of a lot of good that's come from making God accessible. I mean, it's what Jesus did. But again, it he never lost the the respect, the reverence, the 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 reality that God is God is not just loving and our Father. He's also holy and He's transcendent. Right, yeah. You know what I mean. And and so the fact that we're the bride of Christ that that that, that is something to be sought after in purity and in, and in 
in reverence like that yeah. i think it's just a foreign idea yeah do you uh you kind of answered this a little bit um one of the thoughts that i had was you know why is there such a disconnect right with some of these topics like mm-hmm. you have people that you know maybe they've been coming to the church for a year two years five years you know they're living with their boyfriend girlfriend you, you mentioned you taught on it so maybe you've already answered the question but but one of my questions is gonna be is it that they just don't know any better because i think there's a part of us you know i think we would all mm-hmm. all agree that biblical illiteracy in the west is rampant like people right. don't mm-hmm. know what the scripture really teaches mm-hmm. so is it ignorance that that you know, people are doing these things because they don't know any better, or is it just because they don't care, right? They know, but they just are indifferent or apathetic yeah. towards it. I, I think that was really my heart on Sunday. Um, th- to answer the question, my heart on Sunday was I wanted to really have a sobering message where we say, when God speaks and you ignore him, it's the same thing as killing Jesus. Not in the sense of, again, not the shock value of it, but Mm -hmm. the same motivation of like, Jesus, I want you to be quiet. I want you to go away. I want you to die. And I think our culture has made that, the the perspective that our culture has is that everything Jesus says is optional. It's like another part of the self-help program that's on the Mm -hmm. shelf Mm -hmm. that you can pick and choose. Mm -hmm. And so I think people will hear a message and think, like, maybe someday I want to do that, but there's not the deep conviction to say, like, I need to respond immediately to that. And that's the place—I don't say this in any type of arrogance, but I have so I am so convinced that Jesus is right that I work really hard to respond as quickly as possible to the conviction in my life. And I still mm-hmm. have things that I held on to mm-hmm. way too long mm-hmm. where God was challenging me and challenging me. I still have things where I'm like— it, I don't know if you guys have that, where you almost try not to let it go to your brain because you don't want to acknowledge <laughs> yeah, it again yeah. that God's convicting you. <laughs> yeah, I just don't think about it. Yeah, yeah. and but I, I think that's the case, because you, you can have people in the crowd that it's... I, I would say I'm a clear communicator, that mm-hmm, I it wasn't mm-hmm. like you were confused by the stance I took, sure. and yet afterwards, there's no life change at all. Mm-hmm. And we've had people... So we have core membership... That, that's a group that has raised their hand and said, I want to be held accountable. Mm-hmm. So we've had people in core membership that have read the standards in our guidelines, they've had conversations, mm-hmm. we've talked with them, and then throughout that choose to enter into sinful patterns of behavior in their life, and knowing good and well it was sinful while still being members, still coming to church, and when confronted, they're like, yeah, we know. And that's the response they have. Mm-hmm. It, it is, I think, always going to be the tension of Christians mm-hmm. is... There's a certain level that we think sin is permissible. Yeah, yeah, and I think it goes to to in the end, what do we ultimately value? For sure, do, it's the it's the cost. It's yeah, the other side yeah. of it, though. Because if Jesus, you put Jesus at the center, and He drives everything of your life when He is the most valued in your life. Right. When I'm just going to use the example of eating, I loved working out. I loved being healthy. Loved being fit. I also loved food. <laughs> so, um, and I said that past tense. I still I was saying, love food. You said food. past tense. I was like, Chris, I come still on. love food. So I can talk all day long. I can go and work out all day long. And I, I can say and, and shape 90% of my life around this idea of being fit and being healthy if I don't embrace that that is the center and the core of what I am and I don't value that most, I will always overeat. Yeah. And I will always allow that to be an area of 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 catch up for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so um, I, I think they're really I'm not saying they're good reasons, I, but I think we each have our own things that we place in that place. And yeah. we go, whether it be comfort or whether it be whatever. And I think each of us have to wrestle with always bringing back to center who Jesus is and what he commands, because when he is most valued in our life, 
that's when life change happens. Mm -hmm. And that's when we start to make those hard decisions and say the cost is absolutely worth it. Yeah. Uh, Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, kind of going back to what we said earlier, but the subconscious mind, like psychologists say, like it's, it's wired for comfort. So like, it'll go to the most comfortable thing, right? It'll, it'll do the action that's most comfortable and making a life change or a hard choice like that is very uncomfortable. So like, if we don't respond quickly and say, I'm going to make this change and act on it, uh, we'll always go to comfort, go back to the thing that, you know, is in our life, the thing that we need to address. And we've heard thousands of times, we, we know we need to address it, but we still will go to comfort every single time. And Mm -hmm. that's just not, you know, that won't benefit us in the end. Mm. Right. And, and comfort, the, the language that Jesus used was not one of comfort. Right. You know, take up your cross. You know, Anthony, it's funny. I don't know. You use that example, and I've used the exact same example before of the electric chair. I had said to our church one time, I was like, this was their form of execution. It would be mm-hmm. modern day mm-hmm. electric chair. I think I even made a joke about like, that would be a thing if all of us wore electric ch- chairs, <laughs> necklaces, and had electric chair tattoos, yeah. you know, like, mm-hmm. but it'd be the same concept. Mm-hmm. And so it is the image of like every, you said it earlier, which I thought was amusing in, a, in the most violent way, but like every single day sitting down in the electric chair. Yeah. Like that's the idea of like, I'm going to get zapped today in this very painful experience. And that's what Christianity requires. That's what Jesus yeah. is saying. Like you have to be willing to go through that process of dying to yourself, which mm-hmm. is, it is the opposite of comfort. It's, yeah. it's violent. It's, it's frustrating. It's scary. You know, I think mm-hmm. about even people like in relationships, people get into these sinful relationships because they're afraid to be alone. And and you understand mm-hmm. that you can, you can yeah. sympathize and empathize in some yeah, situations yeah, yeah. and like, and there's, and other things. I mean, people hold back in their finances because it's, it's a terrifying thing to mm-hmm. live week to week and not know where the next meal is coming from. And so there's a lot of different dynamics to it. So there's a lot of grace there, but I think going back to what you're saying, like it ultimately is that place. Do I really believe that God, mm-hmm. what he offers me is the best and that he's going to lead me on this path that he's called me to. And that's a challenge. And that's really like Sunday, what we were trying to talk about is the idea of like, he's calling us to greater life. So when we're counting the mm-hmm. cost, it's both sides of this. I mean, mm-hmm. what's, what do I have to give up? But what is he offering? And do you really believe that? And I think that's the tension that Jesus is trying to get people to is a place where they go, I, I really do believe that that what he offers is yeah. best. And I really do believe he's going to take care of me in the process. And I think it's only within the context of that, that that when you speak to someone in challenge and you invite them to that next place, that that they are able to find um, a hope of new life. And and what right. I think about, I listen to um, Preston Sprinkle, and he he is he has an ongoing dialogue with um, with the LGBTQ community, and um, and he's just he's very conscious, and he wants he wants to rectify. He, he holds to a traditional value, but he wants to rectify the wrong that the church has done sure. in that community or to that community and wants to rectify how we can how we can better enter into dialogue and have get to the place where we are inviting people who see the church as their enemy as the possibility of finding life in Jesus. And so um, I listen to him a lot and and what he talks about oftentimes um, is this idea of he, he gets to this place. I, I'm so sorry. I had one of these moments where in explaining all that, I have one of my, my brain, yeah. my, my thought just kind of went, I was lost right train of thought of what I was trying to say. I'm so sorry. But Preston Sprinkle, he's good. Yeah. His podcast is amazing, but, yeah. uh, but yeah, like his, his dialogue and his point is, is like, we have to get to the place where we can create safe place to have these conversations 
but ultimately to, to make the decisions that someone who struggles, ah, this is where, where I was going. Yeah, I knew you were going to get there. Chris. <laughs> to, to make the decisions that someone who struggles with same sex attraction, that they have to make to live a godly lifestyle yeah. to mm-hmm. still, that that's not to say that they don't struggle anymore. That's not the, mm-hmm. the it's not the conversion therapy, stuff right. like that. It's, it's to live with same sex attraction and be honoring of God, which is, he says is absolutely possible, right. requires a great deal of sacrifice. Yeah, it does. And, and, and to do that means that you have to value Jesus above everything else. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. No, yeah. And that Anthony was talking about earlier, he was talking about the idea that our culture is basically, th- these are my words, not necessarily his, but it was what he was communicating was the idea that our culture has basically told people, you are the sum of your desires. Mm-hmm. Like, mm. if you follow your desires, like, that's who you are. And he's like, no, we're actually children of God, redeemed by God, and that's the value. But there are there are people that are in, in our culture that are being told the most complete version of you is if you're acting upon mm-hmm. your desires. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you're you're basically, that that's your value, is if you get to live out your desires. And when we understand that the greatest value is being in a relationship with a God who redeemed us, that the greatest value now and for eternity is in that there is a season where we are denying our our Mm -hmm. desires, Mm -hmm. and every follower of Christ is denying to some capacity their desires. Mary Mm -hmm. and I were were traveling yesterday, and we were just talking about that. We were were driving together, and and I said, because we were talking about this very topic, and I said, you know, the truth of it is a heterosexual person if left to their own devices, would be promiscuous, right? Yeah. Like, they yeah. would have sex with many people, yeah. multiple mm-hmm. people. And I said, they. so they, even in a monogamous, healthy, godly relationship, are still suppressing desires and fighting against yep. the lust of the, lust of the flesh. And so, like, each one of us has that. So, like, mm-hmm. you've talked about, you've been really open and honest about your struggle with eating and, like, mm-hmm. having to fight. And, and now you're in a very good season of, mm-hmm. of, of health. But like we we all could go down the list and say like mm-hmm. these are the things that we mm-hmm. battle, mm-hmm. and but again the reason we do the cost is because of the payoff. The payoff mm-hmm. is yeah. what God offers, and so again just to kind of summarize like this is the heart of like for us as pastors and as a church is we have the deep conviction Jesus is the way Jesus offers life Jesus way is loving we love people. And so we want to guide you to that. That's our deep conviction. It is not about shaming. It's mm-hmm. not about mm-hmm. right. saying your sins are worse mm-hmm. because they're, they're sins. Sins are sins. It's what unites all of us, actually. Um, but we're just trying to help people on that pathway. So mm-hmm. any other last questions or thoughts before we wrap up? Uh, no, I just think uh, I think pulling out that idea of, right, ultimately that it's it's our affections for Jesus that that will enable us to overcome those things. I, I think it's that's that's what makes the gospel unique in yeah. that um, we're not talking about moralism or legalism. We're not talking about right. you know uh, what the Pharisees often did, right? right. To just do these things. Yeah. What we're saying is that when you encounter the living God and you see that He is good, and I, I think I always think of the you know Psalm sixteen eleven. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. Like our hearts long for joy. They yeah. long to be satisfied. Um, and what we're saying is that the highest form of joy and satisfaction can only ever be found in Christ. And when you realize that, now daily you have to remind yourself of it, and it's sure. always going to be a battle to remind yourself of it. But when you realize that, you realize the sacrifice is ultimately worth it, right? It's, yeah. it's worth Amen. the yeah. cost. Amen. And the only way to get there is to embrace that discomfort every day. What yeah. you guys summarize, I think, really well yeah. is that electric chair, right? Is that cross <laughs> that you're picking up every day. Pick up your cross daily and be prepared every single day to address those things in your life that cause you the discomfort, but will cause you, uh, give you a more abundant life. Absolutely. 
You gonna get a tattoo of an electric chair? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, guys, uh, and thank you, everyone, for watching. And uh, we always say this on all of our podcasts: if, if they are an encouragement to you, a blessing to you, feel free to share them uh, because we want to get the information out there. Uh, we hope that you'll join us next week. We're going to be looking at what it means to have a calling and a purpose in our lives from God, and it'll be another good discussion. Be blessed.